This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you here on TGMI. And for our steady listeners, sorry, but last week we were preempted because the possibility of the Mariners playing a Sunday baseball game back in Toronto, they moved the Seahawks, and so we're back this week, glad to be here. Anyway, no recession yet. We're not recession deniers, we just don't think one has started yet. The distortions of economic activity from lockdowns, massive deficit spending, and money printing are immense. It's hard to imagine the U.S. can unwind these policies and not have a recession. Monetary policy, for example, is going to have to get tight and stay tight to bring down inflation and keep it there so we don't get into another stop-and-go cycle of inflation problems like we had back in the 70s and early 80s. A monetary policy that gets tight enough and stays tight enough for long enough to achieve that goal is very likely to cause a recession. We're just not there yet. Initial jobless claims totaled 228,000 in last week, an extremely low number by historical standards, while continuing claims continued to just 1.368 million. Industrial production is up 4% annual rate in the first eight months of this year, and gross domestic income, or GDI, was positive in the first six months of 22. These are not recessionary numbers. Meanwhile, we're projecting a 3% annualized growth rate for real GDP in the third quarter. Hurricane Ian should have a temporary negative effect, but it hit so late in the third quarter that its impact on GDP data should be minor. Yes, the goods sector of the U.S. economy has seen better days. Some companies in the goods sector, like Peloton and CarMax, have gotten hammered because they seem to project forward COVID-like economic conditions forever, including lockdowns. Or maybe they just had business models whose problems could be better hidden when the federal government was passing around stimulus checks like candy. That was unwise, and these companies are paying for it now as the balance between goods and services returns towards normal. It should be no wonder that the U.S. is not yet in recession. Until two weeks ago, the Federal Reserve hadn't raised short-term rates above 2.5% level that it thinks is the long-term run average. Even at current levels, short-term rates are still below inflation. Yes, growth in the M2 measure of the money supply slowed sharply starting in February. But as Milton Friedman taught us, unlike those at the Fed who are still ignoring his lessons, the link between growth in the money supply and inflation is long and variable. In addition, there are reasons to question whether the slowdown in M2 money growth means tight money. The Treasury now holds a very large balance in its checking account at the Fed, the Treasury General Account. So far, in 2022, the Fed has collected roughly $480 billion in taxes or bond sales that is deposited at the Fed and did not spend. This subtracts from the M2, at least temporarily. Why the Treasury needs such a large amount of cash sitting around is a mystery, especially when it has a massive structural annual budget deficit. As a result, we believe this can't continue, so it remains to be seen whether the slowdown in growth of M2 will persist. In the meantime, rate hikes, which have already impacted the housing market, will likely cause a recession by the second half of next year, with some probability of it starting early next year and some probability that starts as late as 2024. There is more economic pain to come in certain areas, like the labor market, and the pain is almost completely in front of us, not behind us. So let's look at our global wrap-up for the week. We saw the U.S. core inflation posted a 40-year high, but global equities rose, reversing sharp losses posted after the hotter-than-expected United States inflation data on Thursday, only to settle back on Friday. 
The yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury note rose to 4.02% from 3.89% last Friday. The price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude slipped to 86 and a quarter from $90.15. And volatility is measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, edged up to 32.5 from a week ago at 31.5. And global macro news, U.S. core inflation rises to a 40-year high. Hopes that the U.S. consumer prices had peaked were dealt a blow on Thursday as the headline consumer price index slipped to 8.2% year-over-year in September from 8.3% in August. But the core reading, which excludes food and energy, rose 6.6% from 6.3%, the highest since August of 1982. Rising prices for services, particularly those of shelter and health care, which tend to be sticky, help fuel the advance. And with inflation continuing to run hot, investors fully priced in a three-quarter for the 1% increase in the Fed funds rate at the November meeting of the Federal Open Market Committee of the U.S. Federal Reserve. They also priced in a 60% chance of another three-quarters of a percent hike in December meeting. Markets had earlier anticipated only a half-point December hike. The minutes of the September FOMC minutes showed that the committee believed that the cost of doing too little to rein in inflation outweighed the risk of doing too much. And Russia signals that it may be open to negotiations on Ukraine. After mounting losses on the battlefields of Ukraine, Russian officials signaled that they were opening negotiations with the West. On Thursday, the Kremlin said the goals of its special military operation in Ukraine were unchanged, but can be achieved through negotiations. Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov said Thursday that his country is willing to consider serious proposals. In recent days, in the week of attack on the bridge connecting Russia and Crimea, Russia has launched missiles and drone attacks on civilian and infrastructure targets throughout the Ukraine. And on Friday, Russian President Vladimir Putin said that a clash with NATO forces would be catastrophic and there's no need for a call-up of additional reservists in the near term, adding that no further strikes, mass strikes, on Ukraine are planned for now. And the United Kingdom market turmoil prompts a policy U-turn. Extreme volatility returned to the market for the long-dated gilt edge securities this week as the Bank of England made clear that it would wind up its temporary bond market support program on Friday as scheduled. Soaring interest rates pressured the government of Prime Minister Liz Trust into abandoning additional pillars of her tax-cutting and deregulation agenda and amid a revolt within her Conservative Party. Last week, Trust jettisoned the unpopular cut in the United Kingdom's top tax rate to 40% from 45%, and on Friday, she reversed the plan to cancel Boris Johnson's corporate tax hike schedule slated for April, which will raise the rate from 19% to 25%. Early on Friday afternoon, as part of the policy reversal, the embattled Trust asked for the resignation of Chancellor of the Executor basically the Treasury Secretary, Kazai Kartung, and replaced him with former Foreign Minister Jeremy Hunt. Truss addressed the media on Friday afternoon in London, saying spending will grow less than previously planned, but that Hunt will drive our mission to go for growth. The yield on the 30-year gilt eased to 4.55% on Friday morning after reaching a high of 5.808% on Wednesday, though yields rose after Truss unveiled her updated plan. And a few quick hits. Germany has indicated that it may back the idea of the joint issuance of the European Union debt to cushion the impact of the energy crisis. The proceeds of the bond sales by the highly rated EU would then be distributed to lower rated countries as loans instead of grants. In 2020, a similar scheme saw bond proceeds divvied out as both grants and low interest loans. And U.S. retail sales data were mixed on Friday, with the headline figure unchanged in September from August, but core retail sales strip out the sales of such things as autos, gasoline, and building materials rose a solid four-tenths of one percent. The pace of nominal sales growth is less than the rate of inflation, so it will be welcomed by the Fed. And China's Communist Party Congress begins on Sunday, with the party expected to grant President Xi Jinping a third term. 
The administration of the U.S. President Joe Biden late last week issued a sweeping set of controls cutting off the export to China of semiconductors made with U.S. equipment, and former Fed Chair Ben Bernanke and two other U.S. economists were awarded Nobel Prize in Economics for their research on banking crises. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake up here in KGMI. We'll be right back. My name is Monica Mahal, and I'm a pediatrician here in Whatcom County. I'm one of over 100 local nurses and doctors voting yes for Whatcom Kids. A child's brain develops most dramatically during the first five years. The Children's Fund on our ballots expands childcare options and supports kids and families of all backgrounds, including our most vulnerable. So join me and vote yes for Prop 5, the Children's Fund. Paid for by Yes for Whatcom Kids, top five donors, Chuck and Health Foundation, Children's Funding Accelerator, Lydia Place, Patty Emhoff, and Imco Construction. You go to great lengths to keep your carpet clean. Kids, get out of the living room! You spend your days scolding loved ones. Honey, take your shoes off. Trying to create an invisible shield to keep all the dirt and stains out. Welcome to our home. And just please stay on the plastic, okay? From summer's barbecue stains to your kids' dirty cleats, call Swans today or visit them online at swanscarpetcleaning.com. His commitment to Northwest Washington dates back five generations. Our Congressman Rick Larson. Brought up in a family of eight kids, Rick was raised with the value of hard work. The same way Rick and his wife Tia raised their own two boys. Larson understands the pressures facing families when it comes to the rising cost of living. And why he just passed the new Inflation Relief Act that starts lowering costs by reducing prescription drug prices for Washington seniors. And caps insulin costs at $35. Rick sees the big picture. That's why he just helped pass bipartisan legislation bringing semiconductor manufacturing back to America. Larson's bill eases supply chain issues and means more good-paying jobs, all while lowering prices on cars and electronics. Common sense. Practical solutions for working families and local business. That's always been Rick's approach to making a difference for growing our local economy. Rick Larson, Congress. I'm Rick Larson, and I approve this message. Paid for by citizens to elect Rick Larson. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wolf Wake Up this Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. We're asset advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Wilson's Furniture. That location is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Again, give us a call, 360-733-1200. And also I'll mention on yesterday's show, but Thursday night we had a uh, political forum that was sponsored by Common Threads Northwest, which I'm involved with. We had all six candidates in the 42nd Legislative District that participated. We also had Senator Rick Larson and Dan Matthews, his uh, competitor, his uh, opponent, for the 2nd U.S. Congressional District there. It is here available on KGMI. If you go to KGMI.com, you'll find the podcast. So I invite you, if you didn't listen to the forum on Thursday night, Go back and take a listen to it because this next week you're going to get your ballots and it's important that you get your ballots, be informed, and get your vote in. Okay, back to this week's economic news. Despite recent bouts of intervention initiated by Japanese authorities to support the yen, the currency weakened to a 32-year low of 144.49 against the dollar shortly after the release of CPI, U.S. CPI data on Thursday. Earlier in the day, Bank of Japan Governor Kuroda vowed to maintain super-easy monetary policy despite widening global interest rate differentials. And U.S. freight railroad workers have rejected a contract proposal brokered by the White House, again raising the risk of a strike. The International Monetary Fund cut its global economic growth forecast to an anemic 2.7% next year, down from July's 2.9% forecast and January's 3.8% outlook. And social restrictions were reintroduced in Shanghai this week as COVID cases counts hit three months' highs. 
The U.S. Energy Information Administration said that the U.S. households are likely to face the highest heating bills in a quarter century during the upcoming winter. And in response to Moscow's missile and drone attacks on Ukraine, the Biden administration is considering a ban on the importation of aluminum from Russia. That's nice. We cut down aluminum production in this country. More increases. Think of those little pop cans you buy. And Reuters reported on Thursday that an internal European Central Bank model that serves as a key input to monetary policy deliberations projects that the central bank's terminal rate for this hiking cycle will be two and a quarter percent, well below the mid-2023 peak of three percent priced in by futures markets. The U.S. Social Security Administration announced recipients, and we'll talk more about this, will receive an 8.7 percent cost of living adjustment in January of 23. U.S. Secretary of Treasury Jan Yellen said on Wednesday that she is concerned by a loss of adequate liquidity in the market for U.S. Treasuries, noting that while the supply of Treasuries has climbed, the balance sheet capacity of broker-dealers to engage in market-making has not expanded as much. And U.S. inflation expectations as measured by the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Survey which is an important data point for the Fed in its formulates monetary policy, rose in October. The survey showed that one-year forward inflation expectations increased to 5.1% from 4.7%, while inflation over the 5- to 10-year horizon grew to 2.9% from 2.7%. So, talking about inflation, let's talk about September's Consumer Price Index report that came out this week. And it is, inflation is a major problem. Overall, consumer prices rose four-tenths of one percent in September, well above the consensus expected gain of two-tenths of one percent. Once again, it was held down by the volatile energy sector, which declined 2.1% in September due to a 4.9% drop in gasoline prices. Excluding energy, consumer prices rose 6 tenths of 1% in September. Meanwhile, the other typically volatile category, food prices, posted the ninth consecutive monthly increase of at least 8 tenths of 1% on the back of higher costs for every major grocery store food group. Overall, consumer prices are up 8.2% from a year ago. And while consumer prices may have peaked on a year-ago basis back in June, they still have an incredibly long way to go back to the Federal Reserve's 2% target. Less than three weeks ago, the Fed projected a 2.8% PCE inflation in 23. We expect the path towards normal to be far stickier than that. Stripping out the food and energy categories makes the inflation picture look even uglier. Core prices rose six-tenths of one percent in September during a 12-month increase in a new post-pandemic peak to 6.6%, which is the highest in four decades. A broad range of categories contributed to the monthly rise, most notably prices for housing rents up eight-tenths of one percent, medical services up one percent, motor vehicle insurance up 1.6%, and new vehicles up 7 tenths of 1%. Housing rents for both actual tenants and rental value of owner-occupied homes continued to accelerate, posting the largest monthly increases in more than 30 years. And rents have been a key driver of inflation this year, and should continue to do so in 23 and 24, because they make up more than 30% of the overall CPI, and still have a long way to go to catch up to home prices, which skyrocketed during COVID. Even more troublesome inflation has persisted despite improvement in factors that were supposedly keeping it elevated. Think energy prices and prices for used vehicles, which declined 1.1% in September. That's because overall inflation has been and always is a monetary phenomenon. The problem is that the Fed thinks it can manage inflation just by targeting short-term rates. We think the Fed needs to focus less on hiking interest rates and more on keeping the growth in the money supply under consistent control. And in the meantime, expect to see another 75 basis point hike in short-term rates in early November. In other news, initial claims for unemployment insurance rose 9,000 last week to 228,000. Continuing claims rose 3,000 to 1.368 million. These figures remain very low by historical standards and are consistent with continued job growth in October. 
In September retail sales, the economy keeps transitioning from goods to services. Retail sales were flat in September, coming in below consensus expectations. Prior month's numbers were revised slightly higher, and including revisions, retail sales rose a tenth of one percent. But that's still slightly below the consensus expected two-tenths of one percent gain. Six of 13 rail retail categories grew in September, led by sales at non-store retailers, internet, and mail order, and general merchandise stores rising half a percent and 0.7% respectively for the month. The largest declines were for gas stations, which fell by 1.4%, and autos, which declined four-tenths of 1% in September. The best news in the report was that core sales, which exclude the most volatile categories of autos, building materials, and gas stations, rose four-tenths of one percent in September, revised higher for prior months. These sales remain up 7.5% from a year ago. The problem is that one of the key drivers of overall spending is inflation. Yes, consumers are spending more, but they're not taking home the same amount of goods. And although the retail sales are up 8.2% from a year ago, that pace matches inflation, with CPI up 8.2% over the same period. And due to very loose monetary policy and the massive increase in government transfer payments in response to COVID, retail sales are still running higher than they would have if COVID never happened. However, loose monetary policy, which helped finance that big increase in government spending, is translating into higher inflation, which is why real inflation-adjusted resale sales are flat versus a year ago. This doesn't mean that overall consumer spending is down. Real inflation-adjusted spending on services is still rising. But it does mean overall real consumer spending growth is soft. What to expect in the months ahead? Well, retail sales will struggle to keep pace with inflation, while overall consumer spending increases modestly due to the service sector as consumers continue to shift their preferences away from goods and back to services. And in other news, import prices fell 1.2% in September, while export prices dropped 8 tenths of 1%. Still, in the past year, import prices are up 6%, while export prices are up 9.5%. Dick Donahue with you. The Wolf Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back in a moment. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Bringing the world to Whatcom County and Northwest Washington. The People's Republic of China. They're launching the first pieces of their own space station. The John Batchelor Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 10. They're going to use what they learn in, in constructing this station and having people live on it to plan their uh, manned interplanetary ship and to do it as quickly as possible. On KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. My first lesson in hard work came from my dad. A union pipe fitter, he started his own business out of our garage when I was five years old. He didn't go to a four-year college, but was able to support his family because he worked hard and because he had a great education through an apprenticeship. I'm Joe Timmons, and I'm running for the legislature because I believe everyone deserves the opportunity to succeed in our community. Before students leave high school, they should have enough career and technical education to access living wage jobs without having to go to a four-year college. Costs are rising and families are struggling to afford food, gas, and housing. My own family's rent went up 35% last year, right here in Whatcom County. Healthcare costs are also way too high. That's why I want to work with both parties to lower costs for Washington families, especially those high prices for prescription drugs. I'm the only pro-choice candidate in this race, and I am proud to be endorsed by Planned Parenthood. Women, not politicians, should make their own healthcare decisions. I'm Joe Timmons, and I ask for your vote. Paid for by Vote Joe Timmons, Democrat. The City of Bellingham and their partner agencies are committed to protecting mobility for all on our city streets. This fall, please make a commitment to avoid distracted driving and travel with care to protect the students, pedestrians, and cyclists that are sharing the streets with you. Three feet, a few seconds, an extra glance. From those of us on bikes, thank you. Every time you watch out for us, wait until it's safe to pass, and leave enough room, we notice. 
Our bright clothes and blinking lights can only do so much. We depend on safe drivers like you when we share the road together. You make Bellingham even better when you travel with care. Learn more about Bellingham's Travel with Care campaign by visiting the City of Bellingham online at cob.org and search for Protecting Mobility for All. Together with your help, we can keep everyone on our city streets safe. Radio Real Estate with Mike Kent. Every Saturday, I break down what's happened in the market. More importantly, I share expert insight as to what you can expect next with your Whatcom County real estate investment. Radio Real Estate is sponsored by Linden Sheet Metal, Windermere Real Estate, even Sue Schwab with Umqua Bank, and Windwood Enterprises. 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com bullying. It's a real problem. Studies show nationwide over 20% of students experience bullying on a daily basis at school or on social media. Don't be a bystander. Become an upstander. Someone who takes action. It only takes one person to make a big difference. When bystanders become upstanders, it not only helps the targets of bullying, it also shows other bystanders how to take action to prevent or address bullying. A great place to start is the website stopbullying.gov, where you can learn how to recognize bullying and how to stop it. Join Cascade Radio Group and Launching Success in the fight against bullying. Launching Success is your local source for help on how to talk with your child about bullying. They have children's books, workbooks, and games to learn what bullies, victims, and bystanders act like and how you can get in and out of sticky situations. Launching Success, Whatcom County's largest educational toy store, where play and learning collide. Shop in-store, call in your order for pickup, have it delivered, or shop online at launchingsuccess.com. Get informed and inspired with Saturday Morning Live on KGMI. Join a group of knowledgeable hosts as they present a variety of guests and viewpoints on issues important to our area and to you and your family. Sponsored by Asset Advisors, LLC, and Linden Sheet Metal each Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. A properly operating furnace will guarantee that you stay comfortable as the seasons change. Contact West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electric for a system inspection today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to, well, Wake Up Dick Donahue with you this Saturday, Sunday morning. Sorry about that. Okay, some of these reports I'm going to give were actually out a week ago, but since we didn't do a show last Sunday because we thought there'd be a Mariners game, I'm going to go ahead and give them to you anyway. And this is basically the employment report for the month of September. And it was a solid report on the labor market and no sign that a recession has already started or is about to start in the next few months. Non-farm payrolls rose 263,000 for the month, narrowly beating consensus expectations. Meanwhile, civilian employment, an alternative measure of jobs that includes small business startups, rose 204,000, confirming the good news from the payroll survey. Their weakest part of the report was the labor force shrank by 57,000, although that follows a steep increase in August. The increase in civilian employment combined with the slippage in labor force resulted in a drop in the unemployment rate to 3.5%, tying the lowest level since COVID reopening started, the lowest level in the economic expansion of 2009 to 20, and the lowest opening since 1969. Another sign of strength in the labor market is that the share of voluntary job leavers, also called quitters, among unemployment reached 15.9% for the highest since 1990. Notably, jobs number is the last employment report before the next Fed meeting on monetary policy in early November. Barring some unexpectedly good news on inflation, this report likely locks the Fed into raising rates by 75 basis points or three-quarters of a percentage point at the November meeting. Other than jobs, what does the report mean for workers? Well, 
that wages are still growing but not keeping up with inflation. That average hourly earnings rose three tenths of one percent in September, up five percent versus a year ago. However, we estimate the consumer price index is up eight point one percent from a year ago. Of course, the CPI data I just gave you is up eight point two, and we also like to follow wages paid, which is based on average hourly pay and total hours worked. Total wages increased by half a percent in September. They're up eight point six percent from a year ago. That means total wages are beating inflation, but only because, as a whole, workers are working more hours. In other recent news in the labor market, initial unemployment claims rose this last week to a still low 228,000. Continuing claims increased to 1.368 million, also still very low. Expect continued growth in the fourth quarter of the year, but not as fast as earlier this year. And September's producer price index report came out, and if the Fed is looking for sign that inflation pressures are causing the poor, or easing, the report on producer prices isn't it. After declining in July and August on the back of lower energy costs, producer prices rose four-tenths of one percent in September as price pressures appeared virtually across the board. Food and energy prices increased 1.2 and 7 tenths of 1% respectively in September, while prices in the service sector rose 4 tenths of 1%. It's also important to recognize that even as overall producer prices temporarily declined in July and August, that core prices, which exclude food and energy, kept rising and continued that trend in September, rising 3 tenths of 1% each month. Producer prices remain at a whopping 8.5% over the past year, while core prices are up 7.2%. And while producer prices may have peaked to a year-ago basis back in March, it is not a swift return to the Fed's target of 2% annual inflation. We expect path back towards normal will be far stickier than most anticipate, as the massive surge in M2 measure of money continues to wind itself into the economy. And while there's plenty of prognostication around what the Fed will do when that means to the economy and the markets moving forward, what matters most is that inflation continues to run well above the Fed's target. Expect a three-quarters of 1% basis point hike at the Fed's November meeting, followed by an additional three-quarters of a percent hike in December, with more to come in 23. The path ahead to tame inflation will test the Fed's resolve, but let's hope that they are up to the task. And September's Institute of Supply Management's Marketing and Manufacturing Index also came out, and the manufacturing sector continued to expand in August, but at its lowest rate since the pandemic recovery began, with only half of 18 industries reporting growth. Respondent comments of September continued to highlight supply chain issues related to shortages of key inputs and labor, but also worries about the pace of future activity, with some customers pulling back on new orders due to worries about an economic slowdown. The best news in the report was that the pace of production expanded slightly, rising to 50.6 from 50.4 in August. Meanwhile, the new orders index fell back into contraction territory at 47.1 in September, which was the lowest reading since the early days of the COVID pandemic back in 20. This isn't much of a surprise given that consumers have been shifting their preferences away from goods and back towards services. However, given that production continues to expand, this should also give U.S. factories time to catch up on all of the existing orders that have already have in the pipeline. For example, the index for order backlogs fell to 50.9 in September, also the lowest reading since 2020. Meanwhile, pressure on supply chains continued to ease in the report as well. With supplier deliveries index falling for the fifth month in a row, hitting the lowest reading since COVID uh, pandemic began. Meanwhile, the employment index fell back into contraction territory at 48.7 in September. And while previous weakness in this part of the ISM report was mostly due to the tight labor market and difficulty in hiring, something that is also echoed in the survey comments multiple times in the release, the details show another story. A majority of panelists in September have said that they're beginning to take a pause on new hiring, a sign that a weaker outlook for new orders may finally be hurting demand for labor in the U.S. factory sector. Finally, the prices paid index in the report 
continued to signal that inflation pressures might have peaked, falling for the sixth month in a row to 51.7. And in other news, construction spending declined 0.7% in August, with a large drop in home building, easily offsetting small gains in sewage, waste, disposal projects, and construction and recreational facilities. And the September ISM non-manufacturing report came out, and the two big ISM reports were of great display of the divergence of the U.S. economy between the goods sector and the service sector. The ISM manufacturing index fell in September to the lowest level since the early days of the recovery from COVID shutdown. Meanwhile, although it declined slightly for the month, the ISM services sector beat expectations coming in at a hearty 56.7 with 15 of 18 service industries reporting growth. The service sector does have some blemishes. Survey comments have begun to cite a general slowdown in sales, blaming inflationary concerns, consumer uncertainty, and hiring challenges for holding activity back. These effects can be seen in the indexes for business activity and new orders. The two most forward-looking pieces of the report, which both declined in September. Despite this, both indexes still are comfortably in expansion territory and only slightly off their highest levels of 22. Future activity in the services sector will be a battle between rising demand as consumers shift their spending preferences away from goods toward the still-reopening services side and the inflation supply chain disruptions and labor shortages that have plagued companies since the pandemic began. Evidence of that transition can also be seen in the most recent report on personal income and spending. Spending on goods fell a half a percent in August, while spending on services rose eight-tenths of one percent. We believe the service sector will lead the U.S. economy higher in 22, but it's clear it is not for the issues still lingering in the wake of poor pandemic-related policy decisions. The service sector would be doing even better. A deeper dive in the details of the report offers positive news that some of those issues might be abating. The Supplier Deliveries Index, which is a measurement of lead times for businesses, fell for the third consecutive month and sits at the lowest level since the recovery from the pandemic began. Meanwhile, on the inflation front, the index for prices paid declined for the fifth consecutive month to 68.7 and sits at its lowest level since late 2020. Although that is far from this 84.6 peak in April, make no mistake, inflation is still a major problem for companies. As all 18 industries reported paying higher prices in September, finally, the best news in the report comes from the labor front, as the unemployment and debt increased further into expansion territory and now sits at a six-month high. Despite large rate hikes, demand for labor in the service sector remains strong, We are forecasting that non-farm payrolls rose about 285,000 in September. We gave that report here earlier today. Stick Donahue with you as well. Wake up here on KGMI. As always, we thank you for being with us, and we'll be back after a quick break. My name is Marcus Vierta, and I manage a small business here in Whatcom County called Western Solar. Every day I see firsthand the impact good jobs have on the lives of people. Sharon Shoemake is an economist and a mom who brings practical, real-life experience to the state Senate. I became an economist to help people. Now I'm running for state Senate to fix our broken housing market, create jobs, lower taxes on working people, and build an economy that works for everyone. Paid for by People for Sharon, Democrat. Eat, drink, and be giving. Annually benefiting the children and families at Skookum Kids is back this year and better than ever. On October 28th, we will gather around a seasonally inspired meal at the brand new ballroom at the Hotel Bellwether and be inspired together by the stories of our community's most skookum children. No sad singer-songwriter here. No way. This is an evening of triumph, of hope, of celebration, and it just won't be the same without you. Get your tickets at skookumkids.org slash E-D-B-G. Once again, that's Eat, Drink, and Be Giving on October 28th at the Hotel Bellwether, benefiting the families of Skookum Kids. Get tickets at skookumkids.org 
slash EDBG. We'll see you there. KGMI Connects with Joe Tian is about our community and you. Biden said if Russia invades Ukraine, Nord Stream 2 is done. That is evidence that he ordered a no, sabotage no, of it? Each weekday at 4 p.m. I don't think Germany, who has that big of investment, would do it. Could it be Ukraine? Sure it could. There have been Spectre. How many James Bond <laughs> movies involved? On KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donnie here with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Got questions for us? Give us a call. 360-733-1200. Okay, well, the IRS has answered the questions. I mentioned this a week or so ago, but there were some questions about the penalties on missed RMDs because of regulatory changes. And basically, the IRS issued notice 2253, that's 2022-53 on October 7th of this year. It provided RMD relief by waiving the excise tax, which is 50% of the RMD penalty for any missed RMDs in 21 and 22 on inherited account required minimum distributions. Very important to repeat that on inherited accounts for beneficiaries subject to the SECURE Act 10-year payment payout rule. The notice says that the IRS will not impose that 50% penalty for missed 21 or 22 RMDs within the 10-year if the account owner died in 20 or 21 on or after the required beginning date with a designated beneficiary who is not an eligible designated beneficiary. I'll talk about who is not an eligible designated beneficiary in a minute. The waiver is also applicable to certain successor beneficiaries who are subject to the 10-year rule. And although the notice is not clear, it appears that since the penalty is waived, the 21 and 22 RMDs within the 10-year period do not have to be taken. The notice does not affect lifetime RMDs for RA owners who are unaffected by these rules. RA owners subject to the lifetime RMDs must still take them and still be subject to the 50% penalty for any RMDs that they miss. This RMD relief also does not apply to IRAs inherited by eligible designated beneficiaries or RMDs by beneficiaries who inherited them before 2020. Important distinction there. Eligible designated beneficiaries still get to use the stretch IRA, so this relief does not apply to them. Those RMDs must still be taken in 21 for years after that. So let's talk about what are eligible designated beneficiaries. They are surviving spouses. They are minor children for the account owner under age 21, but not grandchildren. They are disabled individuals under strict IRS rules. They are chronically ill individuals. They are individuals older than or not more than 10 years younger than the IRA owner. As a background, the SECURE Act became effective to beneficiaries and IRAs and company plans in 2020 or later. The SECURE Act eliminated the so-called stretch IRA where designated beneficiaries could extend the RMDs over their lifetimes, creating long deferrals based on their age. The SECURE Act eliminated the stretch IRA for most beneficiaries except for eligible designated beneficiaries and beneficiaries who inherited them before 2020, replaced it with this 10-year rule that requires the entire inherited IRA or plan balance to be withdrawn by the end of the 10th year after death. At that point, most commentators believe there would be no RMDs required during this 10-year period, but there's some RMD confusion by these proposed regulations. Back in February of this year, IRS issued proposed regulations stating there would be no annual RMDs for beneficiaries who inherited from someone who died before their RMDs had begun, generally after the age of 72 as the required beginning date. This caught everyone by surprise because under these rules, if a beneficiary, say an adult, child inherited their father's IRA in 2020, he died at 80 after he had begun taking RMDs, then he or she would be subject to the 10-year rule. But they would also have to take RMDs based on their age starting the year after death and continuing for years 1 through 9 of the 10-year term. On this 22 IRS proposed regulations, she would have to taken her first RMD last year in 2021. But if she didn't take it because of the old rules didn't require it, then no one thought it was necessary until the IRS said that was case in 22. So what should she do? Well, 
there's a potential 50% penalty for not taking that R&D. Well, that's what this ruling is said. The IRS says, don't worry. There will be no 50% penalty for 21 or 22. Essentially, these RMDs don't even have to be taken. Notice 2002-53, the IRS has received several comments indicating that it would be unfair to apply the annual RMD requirement when an account holder died in 2020, since the non-beneficiary would not have known that an RMD was required in 21. Additionally, the IRS notice stated, if a beneficiary paid the excise tax, which is a 50% penalty, for a missed RMD in 21 that the beneficiary can request a refund from the IRS. This is probably unlikely to happen, but it's also good to know. The IRS says that annual RMDs in these situations will not have to start until 23 at the earliest. Notice also gives some relief to certain successor beneficiaries. It excuses a 50% penalty for 21 and 22 RMDs for the beneficiary of an eligible designated beneficiary who died in 20 or 21 while taking annual RMDs, missed all RMDs that are for other affected beneficiaries, essentially those did not have to be taken at all. And in, in beneficiaries who had inherited a Roth IRA do not need this relief because under IRS proposed regulations, everyone who inherits a Roth IRA is deemed to have an inherited from someone who died before the required beginning date. This is because Roth IRAs owners are not subject to lifetime RMDs. However, Roth IRA beneficiaries are still subject to that 10-year rule where they have to take the money out by the end of the 10th year. They just don't have to do anything from years one through nine. Now, these changes under SECURE Act passed in 2019. Well, now we have a very good chance that after the midterm elections, that we're going to see SECURE Act 2 passed, and we're going to see more changes to what us as advisors and you as clients or investors have been used to. So they're saying that very few bills are likely to move in the lame duck session, but historically grips Congress after midterms. But they do believe that Secure Act 2.0, Securing Strong Retirement Act of 22, has an excellent shot. Right now, the Senate and House have passed their versions of the bills with only minor differences that need to be worked out. There's nothing contentious. The legislation will increase required distribution age from 72 to 75 and increase catch-up contributions for older retirement savers. On the RMD front, the original SECURE Act increased the age at which point workers would have to start making withdrawals for the retirement accounts to 72. SECURE 2 is going to increase them again. So, once again, to 73 in 2022, that's this year, to 74 in 2020. You wouldn't be surprised to see that 73 take effect next year because we're already almost done with this year. And finally, to 75 by 2039. Basically, the bill also is rich in catch-up contribution upgrades. Secure 2 would allow people who are 52 to 64 to contribute $10,000 of 401k or 403b plans, an additional 5000 to simple IRA plans, and catch-up contributions for these plans are currently $6,500 and $3,000 for savers over 50, so those over the age, again, of 62 may have to be able to put some additional money in. However... Beginning in 23, these catch-up contributions are going to be taxed as Roth contributions, meaning that they would be subject to income tax being paid before they're invested for retirement. The bill was also indexed the IRA catch-up contribution limit of $1,000 to inflation. And this is the way Congress saves revenue from being lost. If catch-up contributions were put into a traditional IRA, it would wind up costing Congress revenue because of these tax deductions. The legislation also will be a boon for employers who want to attract and retain employees with student loan debt. It gives employers the ability to make retirement plan matching contributions for workers paying student loan provisions. It's great for young people who come in with student loans and can't make or afford to make retirement plan contributions yet. Their employers can do that. Also, another feature of Secure 2 should be useful to wealthier individuals, would allow taxpayers to make a one-time qualified charitable distribution of up to $50,000 for qualified plan, charitable remainder trust, or charitable gift annuity. In addition, the one-time distributions to be indexed to inflation. The bill would add apply inflation indexing to the qualified charitable distribution, or QCD limit, currently $100,000 for direct gifts. So we can also see those QCD limits going up with inflation. 
And everyone should be looking at this to avoid income and estate tax. We do a ton of QCDs. We push them very hard with our clients because it's, I think it's a great opportunity to help support charities. Uh, we're also seeing that workers, women working for applying for deferred comp should use female, female doctors. We're basically finding that females who need to file for workers' comp stand the best chance of getting benefits if they use a female doctor for the evaluation, according to a new study. Women who are injured on the job, evaluated by female doctors, were 5% more likely to be certified as having an injury that qualified them for benefits than if doctors were men, according to a study by the National Bureau of Economic Research in Cambridge, Massachusetts, that evaluated over 70,000 worker compensation claims. The study found that 8.5% women receive 8.5% more in benefits if they use a female doctor. The research used what they considered a perfect sample of workers' comp claimants, those in Texas's workers' compensation insurance system. There, more than a third of the claims involve dispute over injured workers' level of impairment, which automatically triggers an independent medical evaluation. And in the Texas system, an injured worker is randomly assigned to an independent doctor from a pool of doctors with appropriate credentials. The random assignment of doctors to patients means that differences in assessments between male and female doctors stem from the doctors themselves, difference in the type of patients assigned to the doctors, according to the research. They said that we show that being evaluated by a female doctor rather than a male doctor increases the likelihood that female claimants will be evaluated as disabled and increase, increase the subsequent cash disability benefits that females receive. In contrast, gender of the doctor had no bearing on the likelihood that male patients would be certified as disabled for purposes of workers' comp, according to the study. Interesting study. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live, or Wealth Wake Up here on Sunday. But you're here, uh, got, a call, got questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200. Don't forget our live show on Saturdays at 11. And once again, have a great week. Thanks for listening. voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.